Good morning. Good morning, Rock Bible Church. Good to see you this morning. I hope you're all well. It has been an amazing week. Um, we just got back from Mexico last night. We're going to have a video for you next week because the video is in the editing room still. Um, but uh, the, if you want, the worst Sunday to preach is the Sunday you get home from Mexico. And it's not because you don't want to do it. Is because there's too much to say. There's too many things to share, and you can't share it all. And you just, I feel like I need three Sundays or four. So we're starting a new series. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyways, uh, great stories, and uh, we'll try to tell some of it over the next few days, maybe even some of them today, uh, uh, Lorento and the Porras family, and then Malesio and his family, and everything that we did um, with them, and then VBS, La Casa de Esperanza, and all the stuff with Dennis and Debbie and um, Edgar and Angie and the whole thing. So uh, thanks for being a church that uh, continues to send us and, um, and, and then hand keys to somebody here, walk into your house. Um, and I, uh, I just am, I'm emotional uh, because of some of the things I saw. I took a picture and I'm not sure if I'm going to share it. Um, that was just uh, a depiction of how they're living compared to moving into a house that we build for them. And I don't want to be disrespectful by showing the picture, but <clears throat> so I probably won't unless uh, I got some other eyes to look at it and that kind of thing. But the good news is there's two families in 24 by 24 foot homes with fully insulated windows and wired for electricity and lights and little airspace in the ceiling to give them, you know, protect from the cold and the wind and the whole thing. Uh, and you should have been there. Yes, I did just should on you. You totally should have been there. And here's how I know, okay? God proved it to me this week. Those of you who stayed home, he turned the heat up on you so that you'll go next year. <laughs> he definitely turned the heat up on you. You guys broke 100 a couple times. And I say you guys because I was down there, 70, sunny, slight breeze, and tacos. It was awesome. Uh, tons of work and uh, a lot of exhausted days and the whole thing. But thanks so much again for just for being a church that's committed to mission and um, helping the poor. I mean, it's the only way to say it, really. Uh, but we have some other things coming up, going on, and uh, summertime seems to be just like the time where we schedule too much. Amen? Uh, and we're doing that and uh, for good reason. Uh, one of them is we're going to be launching, let me rephrase, we're launching small groups. If you're interested in that, there's a link in the weekly email that comes out from Rock Bible Church. If you get that email, there's a link in there you can click. You can also email Info at rockbiblechurch.com. If you want to get involved and just be in a group, you want to be the host house, but you don't want to lead, or you want to lead a small group, any of those things, um, you can get in touch with Bryce Turner uh, through that link or through that email and let him know, hey, I want to be involved. Um, I haven't been in a small group, or I used to be in a small group, or um, whatever it is, and we'll, we'll get you connected and, and set up. And then uh, coming up, end of next month, we have our Camp Rock, which um, kind of took a, 
A twist last year was all online and virtual as everything else in the world was. We're back on campus. We're back live. It's end of July. I think it's the 26th through the 30th. Um, and it's a day camp for uh, our our children. And it's a great old time. So uh, if you're if you are related to know of youngsters who could uh, enjoy this and benefit from this, it'd be great if you would love to volunteer your time or help build the, the stage or serve snacks or any of those kind of things. Um, we have jobs that are totally away from children. <laughs> we have jobs that are hands-on as well. And so uh, we'd love to get you involved in that. Uh, let Brent um, know. Brent Baldwin, same thing, info at rockbiblechurch.com, and you can get involved in that. So uh, let's get going this Father's Day 2021 in our new two-week series. We're going to do a quick little two-week series on the book of Haggai. I've been thinking about serving and how we serve and what we serve. Obviously, it was spawned out of this Mexico trip that we've done for years, twice a year now, and building two homes and the whole thing. And it's one of the things we do as as a community. Um, in fact, we even say it in our little tagline phrase. We say, being a community that serves the greater community. And um, we got a little two-week window here where I'm going to be around, and then I, I think somebody in my family is getting married or something like that. Um, so I'm going to be gone. I thought, you know what, uh, Haggai would fit right here really well. And so I started looking at it, and when that happens, I start getting excited. And here we are, Haggai chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at this, um, <clears throat> and we're going to do uh, chapter 1 this week, chapter 2 next week. Chapter 2 uh, is might be even more fun than chapter 1. I don't know. We're going to have a little small competition to see which one uh, we enjoy more. Um, but Haggai was a prophet. And in the first testament of our Bible, um, we, we like to put things into categories because we're lazy and it makes it easier for us. And we say that Haggai was a minor prophet, which is a tragic title for a prophet because we know nothing my, uh, prophets did was, was minor, right? They had major messages. Why? Their message was from the major, right? The top guy. And Haggai was around the same time as Zechariah, another prophet. They both were prophesying right around the time, we're going to find out, right around the time uh, Darius was in control. He was the king of the secular land, and the whole thing um, was really uh, about rebuilding the temple. And uh, er, uh, this is the time of Ezra as well. It, it comes just after Nehemiah, and some of you don't know this, but one of our first series as a church, when we started back in, probably it was the very beginning of 2011, um, we got into the book of Nehemiah. We did the whole book. And it was uh, King Cyrus at the time and telling Nehemiah, hey, you know what? You can go rebuild the walls of your city. And uh, they came, rebuilt the walls, and they did a great job. It's a great book with some great things in it. Right? We're going to eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and I think I'll take counsel with myself. There's some great lines that come out of that. Uh, and Cyrus, uh, fall, uh, he dies and the next king comes in and Nehemiah moves on and here come Ezra and Haggai and Zechariah this next wave uh, and guess what they only finished the walls they had kind of started the temple they think they say they're not sure you're going to hear about it because we're going to read it and here come this next wave of people and God starts to speak to them and say what are we done we're going to leave things just the way they are 
You happy with just walls and the, and the foundation of a temple? Um, but who are you and who am I and what are we going to do together? And it's a great set of questions. That's loosely how we're going to look at it. Um, but the title for this morning is Rebuilding Priorities. Because he's going to challenge the people about the temple. But I want you to see it's really about a challenge of who they are. The temple is just a sign of other things. We want to see what that sign is pointing to. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're an active God, that you allow us to participate. Beyond that, you call us, you gift us. You give us resources so we can be on the team. We thank for the opportunity to participate, Lord, uh, to win in some level, to be efficient, effective, to accomplish. I pray, Lord, that we would never get our priorities mixed up, that we would always be clear who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, how we fit in, and then, Lord, how do we engage others? And I, I pray, Lord, we would see that through this book. We trust you, Lord, every Sunday for what's said here from your word. Pray that you would take it, use it, uh, develop in us what you want to see. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's get going. Um, this is the second year of Darius the king. Now you know how I knew it was Darius, right? Took it right out of the first thing. Uh, in the sixth month, the first day of the month, the word of the Lord. Now, I want to just point out here, um, this is the Lord's word. And uh, Haggai's going to say this a bunch of times through his book. He's trying to make sure you know none of this was his idea. Is that what he's trying to make sure? He's trying to make sure, not that it wasn't his idea, but that it was whose idea? God's idea. Come on, be for service, okay? You're the people that are up, woke up, you got dressed, you were here early, the whole thing, you had your coffee and your donuts, and you're already in your seat, and you're like, how come you didn't start on time, right? Come on, be those people this morning, all right? Um, otherwise, I'm going to have to call you second service. Right. Oh, I know, that's just, just rough, right? Word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. The word came by the hand. That's interesting. There's some kind of analogy going on there. I'm a little fuzzy on it still, and so I'm going to comment very little on that. But a hand is an active thing. Word we think comes from mouth, but hand is an active thing, implying that Haggai's doing some things not more than just speaking. Right? The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, or Haggai is the hand of God. The prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. I know that's all really important stuff to you. It really is. But uh, this is the, uh, the Jewish side of who's in charge, right? Um, but those that lived back then would know, um, really, they're not the ones that are in charge. That's the line of Judah and who's supposed to be king. Um, but let me draw your attention back to who's really in charge. In the second year of Darius, the king, right, is the Persians. They're really in charge. So you can have your little puppet kings. That's what the Persians would say to, the, to Judah. But so long as you know we're really in charge. 
what I love about Israel is no matter who's in charge militarily, they keep track of who they know God thinks is supposed to be in charge. And they keep track of that. I love that. Uh, governor of Judah and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So we've got <clears throat> the governor of Judah. We've got the high priest. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. Right? This is uh, Haggai reminding you that this is what God says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, there's so much to be said in this. In fact, in my notes, it's this, this line is underlined. There's a couple bolds in it and the whole thing. Um, these people, does that sound like a happy way to start the song? I mean, we read the rest of the sentence. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, right? Do you notice the intonation that I put in there, right? Now, I could say it all happy and deflect meaning. But this sentence really sounds like these people say it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. If I read it that way, what's God's intention? What's, what's his implication? What is he saying? What do you mean it's not time? In fact, who told you to say anything? This is not your show. This is my show. And folks, we're like 20 years late. They think it was uh, about 538 that uh, Cyrus and uh, Nehemiah did their thing. We're getting to about 520 BC. So we're about 18 years to maybe 16 years. There's some argument it could have been 522. Let's get out of history. How about that? <laughs> but if it's been at least 16 years, you guys been sitting on this project for 16 years? <laughs> okay. And you, you thought church projects were slow, <laughs> right? Um, he says, we, we started this a long, long time ago. Have you forgotten the stories of Nehemiah? What he had to do as cupbearer to the king, even to ask the question of Cyrus. And then what did Cyrus do? And what, what um, testimony, what admission did Cyrus make about who God was, the secular king? And all the excitement and the, and the success of building a wall around this place where the temple was supposed to be. In the face of all the opposition of everyone, every country around them saying, don't do that, we're going to come fight you, you better stop right now. And Nehemiah is saying, no, I don't think I'm going to listen to you. I think I'm going to take counsel with myself. No, I won't I take counsel from you. This is God saying, why do you think I started all that? It's a great question for us if we speed dial the timeline up to today. Why do you think there's a church here? Why do you think there's a church a couple blocks away? Why do you think that you can go to the south and find four churches on every intersection? Or go to some random country across any sea, and in that country... Find churches. Why do you think that is? It's a reminder that God is still on the move. And when you say, well, we're going to wait a little while. We're going to do it later. It's not time yet. And God is kind of saying, I'm the God of now. Remember those little candies from 7-Eleven when you were a kid? Now and laters? Yeah, he cuts the later off. These are just now. 
right? I never understood the now and later part of that candy. I don't want them later. I want them now. This is how God is when it comes to time and his projects. God and his ministry. And let's remember all of those things really translate what he's really saying. God and his people. I love the idea that we refer to everyone in reference to their relationship with the Lord. And we already do that as church people, right? We say, yeah, we're Christians. We say born again, or I've accepted Christ, or I became a Christian. What about the other people who haven't done that yet? How do you re- We call them non-Christians sometimes. That's so wrong. Wash your mouth out. Why? Because they're yet to know. Or they're pre-Christian. They're not non-Christian. They're pre-Christian. Or yet to know Christ. Or still on the journey. On their way. Almost there. Whatever it is. Seven touches away. When you think in terms of God is about now for his people. And by the way, what I'm trying to say is how many of the people are his? All of them, right? And so when God shows up on the scene and says, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord? What? I love what God put in there. There's, there's two little letters in English. I know it's totally different in Hebrew, so don't write me that email, okay? The re. Does it say build the house of the Lord? It's not yet time to build the house of the Lord. It says rebuild the house of the Lord. Is that a typo? Did God get his communication wrong? Has God ever been wrong in his communication? Okay, that one you can answer with some confidence. So I'm going to say it again, and everybody's going to answer, right? Has God ever gotten his communication wrong? Okay, thank you. Why then rebuild? Is there a reminder in the re of rebuild that, folks, I've already done this before. There's nothing new here. You're the only problem with are we doing it now. I've been doing it, and the implication is I'm going to be doing it because now's the time to build. What becomes the only question then? Us. The men and women of that time. I coach soccer at the high school and uh, you know I, I had a pretty good career as a soccer player and when my younger days of getting into coaching I would come to the field and you meet the players for the first time and you have tryouts and you select your team and the whole thing and every once in a while I would tell them a story about you know you got to this and you know, I remember when I and we were in the championship game one time I remember when Johnny scored you know I'm telling all these stories of the past um, I stopped telling all those stories once in a blue moon, I might tell a story anymore. Now what I tell them, you know? I could tell you a bunch of stories. But how about we make our own stories this year? I think that's pretty cool. Now it's not, oh, here goes Coach Berglund again, telling one of his old man stories. No, no, no. Let's work on making our own story. This year, this season, Now not later. That's kind of what God's getting at here. He says, we're going to rebuild. Why? Because that's the business he's in. 
Why are these people saying this? This is great. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Again. (laughs) Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Okay. If anybody ever tells me that sarcasm is not a spiritual gift, I'm going to direct them to God. This is straight sarcasm, folks. Praise the Lord. Because I've been running, I ran from sarcasm the first 30, 40 years of my life because it was a twisting of the flesh in the original Greek word and blah, 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 blah. And I always thought to myself, yeah, but it's funny. Is it sarcasm or is he angry? Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? That's, that's dead accurate. He might be totally angry. Or he might be totally sarcastic. Or he might be what? He might be both. A lot of times we use sarcasm when we're trying to communicate something. We're having trouble communicating. What's he trying to communicate here? You guys are taking care of yourselves better than you're taking care of the temple. Wow, there's some rough implications with that. You've got paneling on your house. Not just a house, but you've got pan. You're decorating your house. You've got more than a structure and a shelter and something over your head. Now it even looks good. You're doing trim. Are you doing finish work at your own place? But God's house doesn't even have walls yet? This, this folks, this fits because we were just in Mexico building houses and we would build four by eight panels and prop them up and the whole thing. And I just, this has been spinning in my head like now for a week. And there's this idea like we were walking through the house on the last day and a half or so, you're walking around doing finish work. And I was taking uh, some of the youngsters. I took Colson for a little bit, took a couple of the other guys for a little while, and I'm showing them how to do little finished trim work on the borders of the windows with this little inch and a quarter uh, trim wood that goes around. You got to cut it at an angle, and so you got to have the chop saw, and you got to be careful. And reminding them, hey, work on it like it was going to be your house. Rather than just slap the wood on there, chop, and uh, it kind of fits. It's off by a quarter inch, and uh, who cares? No, 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 no. We're going to make things line up in the whole. We want it to look good. We want the stucco to be smoothed out. No little wires sticking out. We want the faceplate for the electrical socket to come right up against the drywall so it looks good rather than cockeyed. In order to do that, the box has to be placed on the stud in the right spot. Wow, it sounds like I know a little about construction. Better stop there. God's saying, why are you taking care of yourself? a great question who takes care of you me me I gotta take care of me I look after myself I gotta take care of my own used to hate to rap community in the 80s they used to have this phrase it just drove me nuts and then sports athletes started saying I got to get mine no you don't first you need to Start speaking English properly. I got to get mine. Those aren't even words. It's this idea of I am the master of my own destiny. It's not true, folks. Who really takes care of you? 
And he's telling these people, you're acting like you're in charge of you. You're acting like you're the one who builds protection and make things look good over you, around you. I'll tell you what, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Three kids in, I know. I didn't do any of that. Shoot, two of them are bigger than me now. And all three of them look better. <laughs> right? So when it comes to structure and looks, I'm not in control. Not even my own family. Right? While this house lies in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's a great phrase if you're in your own Bible to underline, circle, I don't know, bold it if you're doing it electronically. Consider your ways. It's, it's that thing that we do when we go see a counselor. It's that thing we do when you ask for feedback from your spouse, when you listen to your kids or your parents offer you something. Hey, how about consider your ways as one of the greatest things your dad ever taught you on Father's Day? My dad had said to me on many a different occasions, things that resemble that. I sat in my backyard with power tools and a beat up, pulled apart wine barrel. And I built that cross. And my dad sat a couple feet away and I was explaining something to him. And I had a screw that was like this long because I needed to attach this piece to that piece. And I was trying to get them together and the whole thing. And my dad's been in manufacturing his whole life. And we were talking about it. And he said, well... Consider your way. What are you trying to get to? Focus on where you're trying to get to with the screw rather than just the head. And I was like, what? I tried, guess what? It worked. There's times we have to consider, look at, evaluate, self-assess. Is what I'm doing what I should be doing? What am I getting from what I'm doing? What is the priority in my ways? Is really what he's asking. Uh, you won't find the word priorities from the title of our sermon this morning, Rebuilding Priorities. You won't find that word in this passage or in chapter 2 next week. But it's implied in some of the questions. Consider your ways. You have sown much, verse 6, and harvested little. You've been working really hard and getting very little from it. You eat, but you never have enough. That's called dinner at your uncle's house when you're a kid. He had girls. We were a family all boys. We'd go to eat at his house and he'd get a plate, a little girl's plate of food. When you're a teenage boy, no. That's just the first round, and dinner was over. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into the U.S. government. I mean, sorry, a bag uh, with holes. What's he saying? He's saying, have you figured out why you're inefficient? You're working on your own house. If you're working on your own house by yourself, you're going to be inefficient. You think you can provide, and you can't even provide all those things. Those first six verses 
um, really point this out. And I, wanna, I want us to get to our first fill-in here. Uh, verse 2 through 6 really point to this idea that our, li- our reasoning limits his priority. We come up with our own ideas of how we're going to govern or how we're going to rule um, uh, uh, timelines, expenses, how we're going to spend things, permissions we're going to give. <coughs> Can I, oh, I guess there's coffee here. Just got a little. We decide whether there should be coffee in church or donuts. We come up with all these ideas. And we're amazing at coming up with those ideas for them. You know what they should be doing? You know what the church should do? Hey, you know, in Mexico, when they build, those Mexican builders, they really should build this way. It's one of my number one jobs now when I go to Mexico is grab the new people who haven't watched the process of how they do things down there and stop them when they start trying to give the people in charge directions. I said, no, 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 you don't tell your dentist how to drill your teeth. Don't tell your plumber how to do it. Stop telling them how to do things. Quit coming up with your own ideas. In fact, why don't you do it the way they asked you to do it? There's this funny little speech with the staff at Real Life Ministries uh, they bring all of us in on like the first day in the morning. You've just finished breakfast. You're about to go do some work. And they have this little speech thing that they do. They say, by the way, all week we might give you instructions that sound funny or don't make sense to you. Please do them exactly the way we ask you to do them because they're going to affect the rest of the build. And if you change it, we're probably going to have to come back and redo it, and that'll put the work behind, and we'll have to stay late, and then we're late to VBS, and it affects everything. Why do you think that they've come up with that little speech to give all of the American groups that come down and work with them 10 in the summer, 2, 3 in the uh, uh, spring break, and maybe one in the winter? Why do they have to give that speech? The experience of people coming up with their own ideas and their own priorities. It doesn't work. I want you to think about this when it comes to your reasoning limiting your priorities. If you think back to your history of some of the greatest things that have happened, and you, you consider your ways and the greatest things that have happened in your timeline, you're going to figure out most of those things happened outside of you. Yeah, well, you can come up with some things where you did something and and you thought of it and it was great. But some of the greatest things, they were outside of you. I could not make her say yes. She said yes. That's outside of me. The wedding. Couldn't have done it by myself. What an amazing day. Three kids. That's outside of me. I, she did all the work. God did the creating. Things I've seen at church, things I've seen in soccer, just things, amazing things that just happen outside of me. In fact, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy watching successes from the sidelines. 
when the team that's out on the field does something amazing, and rather than me getting credit because I was on the field, being able to stand outside the line of the field and say, you guys just did that. That was awesome. There's something about the ability to get beyond your own thinking, your own reasoning, your own thoughts, your own logic, your own preferences, your own passions, your own non-negotiables. And say, God, what are your priorities? These people try to tell each other it wasn't time to rebuild the temple. What? That's faulty reasoning. And it took them off of God's priorities. Right? Verse 7, let's keep going. Uh, verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ooh, now he's said it twice. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Ooh. You say, go get the wood from the hills so we can have a temple? No, he says, go build the temple. But what's the why? That I may be glorified. That I may take pleasure there's something about God's priorities that draw attention to himself. There's something about God's priorities that draw us into his presence. Now, let me tie that together. What did the temple represent for that community? Well, it's a really cool building with gold and rubies and fine stones. Really, really big rocks, too. No, what did it represent? It's God's presence. This is where God dwelled. You want to be close to God? Where'd you go? Go to the temple? And when you went to the temple, why'd you go? To be with God. Not to trade animals for money. Definitely not to go there to try and make a profit. That's why Jesus came in and said, what are you guys doing? This is a house of worship. Worship is when you get in the presence of God. Do you know that that's Bryce's job? A lot of people think it's singing. It's not. His job is to help us get into presence with God. Now, outside of singing, you can do that by chasing his priorities. You chase his priorities rather than your own. Guess what? Your reasoning will get you into presence with him. All right? Uh, go up to the hills. Build this. Why? Because you're going to glorify me. You looked for much. Verse 9. And behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Oh, there's a little boy part of God. We're, we're um, I, and I'm can't remember where I was having this discussion or with who we were talking about having little boys, raising little boys and going to the beach when someone's building a sandcastle. And I knew I have one job with my two little boys when we're at the beach and someone's building a sandcastle. What is it? Just keep them away from the sandcastle because they're going Godzilla or King Kong as soon as they can. Right? Dad, look at this. Oh! He worked for hours, and we took it down in seconds. 
right? Little boys just love to blow things away. Is that the God we have? Does he look around, wander around the earth and go, I'll wait for them to do something, and then I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to blow it up. We have a God of destruction? No, we don't. We have a God who builds things. Um, but when we're working on the, one, on the wrong thing, will he blow it away? There have been a few times when I've been working on something, thinking it was for the Lord, right? I know you've never had this problem, I know, but just I'm just relating this to you to, in case it ever happened to you. Where I was working on something, I thought it was for the Lord, and God came in and said, yeah, not doing that. <laughs> what? Time, resources, relationships, Lord. He says, yeah, no, you're working on the wrong thing. How about, Scott, you move out of the way, let me get going, and you join what I'm doing. That's what it's really about. You look for, more, for much, and behold, it came to little. And you brought it home, and I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. <laughs> Have you thought about that? And it's not just because he's sarcastic. Because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Are you busy building your own house? Guilty. I love working on my own stuff. I think there's a direct payoff. And there's my logic, my reasoning, leading me off of his priorities. When I work on God, when I work on his things, when I work on his people, there's always a return. And I want to ask you, is God really worried about the temple itself? Because notice this. Because of my house that lies in ruins. It doesn't say because the temple that lies in ruins. Is he supposed to be talking about rebuilding the temple? God wants to say it this way. I want you rebuilding my house. Does God's kingdom, does his presence extend beyond the walls of the temple? Say yes. Because if you don't, I'm going to drop Holy Spirit on you. And I'm going to say, is he ever present? And you're going to have to say yes. So where is God's house? It's everywhere. That's awesome, because it means you can work on it anywhere, rather than busying yourself. <laughs> I love that, because each of you busies himself. <laughs> isn't, isn't that a little condescending? You're, you're busying yourself. What's it kind of implying? You're going to be really busy, and like all the other phrases that he just read, you're not going to get much from it. But that's okay. Have fun. I know when you burn out, get frustrated, hit rock bottom, then you'll come back to me. Have you figured this out, that this is how God works? He teaches things the hard way? He lets you hit rock bottom. You see it throughout Scripture, almost every character. If you're watching at home, you know you're, it's true about you too. He lets you hit rock bottom. Why? Because then he has your attention. Oh, are we listening now? I remember throwing temper tantrums. And my dad, because it's Father's Day, I need to tell some dad stories, right? I remember throwing temper tantrums, and my dad 
like at, at the end of my temper tantrum, he would kind of, with a smirk, that was amazing. That was really impressive. That thing with the arms and the voice at the same time. Wow. That was really good. Are you ready to move on now? And I remember at the time thinking to myself, wait, everything I just did had no effect? Like he was entertained? That was not the effect I was going for. Because he was ready to move on. I busied myself. I got very little from it. Therefore, verse 10, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And watch this, and I have called for a drought. God will dry things up in your life when your priorities are wrong. I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors. Is that meant to be an all-inclusive list? Sure. (laughs) I'm going to dry it all up. Is that the business God's in? We got got to the one house and the the mother of the house was sharing and... uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't even talk. And she was saying in Spanish how their life had been dried up. They had nothing. And she started praying that God would provide. And she's looking, she's got her three boys with her, and we're looking at this house, handing her keys. And she's saying, This is proof that God heard my prayer, and I had to wait for a long time. But God provides. That's the business that he's in. Now, how'd she get into that business? She prayed. She pursued presence with God. Right? And I want us to see this. I want us to see this second set of fill-ins here. He limits our progress to return to his priority. Our reasoning gets us off of his priority, but he limits our progress. Oh, we, we cut the he off there. That's all right. He limits our progress to return to his priority. But what I want you to um, do here, because I was, I was messing with this idea, what should that last fill-in be? And I did priority to go with the pr- previous fill-in. But really, these priorities, this temple, this work, which house, it's all meant to draw you back into presence. His presence. So last one there could be his priority, but his priority really leads to his presence. It's really a question of, are you pursuing it or not? Do you recognize that when he slows you down, when he pulls things out of your life, right? As uh, Job tells us, the Lord gives and he takes away, right? One of my fun times in ministry is when the lawyer called me, told me that I was wrong on what I was preaching to his uh, youth ministry daughter at at our church. And when I said that God causes difficult things, (laughs) good luck, lawyer, you're losing this case. God takes away. God blows it away. God calls for a drought. He's in control of all these things. What you call bad, he's in charge of that, folks. He can stop it. 
He can make it continue. Satan can't even do anything without permission. We got to get to a point where we recognize that when he slows us down, when he's poking us, he's saying, hey, I'm over here. Look at me. Talk to me. This lady did it. It worked. I went to see my dad. Uh, it was a while back, uh, and I went to see my dad, and I was talking to my dad about being in Arkansas and the whole thing because we had lived there for three years and worked at a church. And uh, I said to my dad, I said, you know what? You never, you never saw our place in Ar- Arkansas. You never came out to Arkansas, did you? And he kind of thought to himself, I thought, no, I guess I never did. Now, my dad and I have this great relationship, right? I had an amazing childhood with my dad. Uh, And to this day, we can go days, weeks, sometimes we can go really, really long time without talking. And then all of a sudden we talk and it's like, boom, didn't miss a beat, right? And the problem with that is, is we can get on the phone and just start talking. And, oh, look, two hours went by. You know, all of a sudden, hey, were we both supposed to be getting something done? Because we just got entranced. We have that kind of relationship. And this little comment I made, you know, hey, Arkansas, you never saw the house, you never came out, you never saw the church, and he said, yeah, no, I guess I don't, I don't think I ever, no, I never did. Oh, that's interesting. I left, I came home, I started thinking about that. I was thinking about, my dad never came and visited me, right? And I started to call the wambulance, <laughs> Right? And then I thought about this other thing. When I had come back to California, we'd been back for a while. I remember one time thinking to myself, you know what? I want to spend some time with my dad. And I called him up. I said, hey, dad. I want you to come down to California, and we're going to go to the family cabin. Just me and you. No wives, no kids, no one else. What do you say? You know what he said? You won't believe this. The audacity of him to say this to me. Yes. No disclaimers. No questions. No clarification. No detail. Hey, Dad, I want you to come down to California. We're going to the cabin. Just me and you. No wives, no kids, no nobody else. And I want multiple days. Four or five days. What do you say? Yes. How dare he do that? I was expecting a longer conversation And it was over like that. He just said yes. He said, well, when do you want to go? I said, well, how about this date? Okay. Where's my big old conversation? It was the weirdest thing. I can't remember. He flew down or drove down. I can't remember. Showed up. We went to the cabin. No one else. We hiked up to the lake that we used to go to as a kid. We spent the eight told stories the whole time. I got this great time with my dad in his presence. How did it happen? I pursued it. How come he never came to Arkansas? I never asked. Folks, you can blame God for the things that have yet to happen or you can take responsibility for asking him for it. It's the difference between being in his presence or not. 
Presence and proximity come from petition. That's a full set of fill-ins right there that aren't even on. That's a first service extra right there. Presence and proximity come from petition. See, and I tell the soccer kids, de- defensively, you, you can't just be out on the field. you got to get present, in their presence. Even if you're not going to get the ball, at least jump next to them. It'll be a distraction. It'll mess up what they're doing. And you can't just jump a couple. Get in proximity to them and make them feel your presence. You, know, you can have that with God. You can have that with God. And recognize that's what he wants when he limits you. Okay. Uh, lastly, let's get through uh, verse 12. Uh, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. What's this next word? They obeyed. Is that a recognition, acceptance, and action on priorities? Yes, it is. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Amen? Presence and proximity. I am with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. That's anybody who made it back. Whoever's left. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. A great sentence, folks. They got to work. Now, why is that great? Because they got a temple out of it. They're back in presence with God. That's the most important thing. And what are they building? They're building something that represents the presence of God. As a constant reminder, stay close to God. He's the one that provides, protects, and decorates. Verse 15. On the 25th, 4th, 24th day of the month, in the sixth sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Um, Last thing I want us to pull from this today. Obedience, right? Remember he said, and they obeyed, right? Obedience to his priority leads us to progress. We, we, I said earlier, if you look back on your timeline and found the greatest moments that you would recognize most of them happened outside of you, what you'll also recognize in the times where things got messed up, slowed down, dried up, blown away, you put progress first in the equation and then ask God to come join in it rather than putting God first and expecting progress later. And that's really the way it's meant to work. I find it true in my own life. I made very little progress for many, many, many years. And I feel like we're starting to get a little traction here and there with certain things. And I'm starting to recognize more and more it has nothing to do with my talents or abilities. Amen? But it has really come out of being with him as much as I can and being around people that do. 
I'm blown away more and more this idea of the cross, of all the things that it represents, what he can conquer, what he can provide, his power, his ability, his heart, his desire for us, how he gifts us, and then his willingness to say, yeah, I gave you all these gifts and you're squandering it. You're twisting it and using it the wrong way, and so I'm going to dry that up till I get your attention. Then I'm going to bring them talents back. And then you get to get yours. Right? That's how that works. Uh, where, where are you standing today? Where, which house are you building is kind of the question that comes out of this. Um, what's the priority in your life right now? Like, what's really important? Um, who are you on? You on anybody? Just, like, on them? Man, I wish they would. Who are you for? Who are you serving? Who are you blessing? It's, it's so interesting to be in Mexico for a week working on something for someone else and watching the team, watching all the different personalities and how they pursue it. Who gets tired when? Who gets grumpy? Who's positive the whole week? How do we carry ourselves? What's our priority? Are you rebuilding his? That's what we're called to. If you're here this morning and you need to reset that, Lord, I'm... Man, in my life, the walls are great, but there's no temple in the middle. Help me re rebuild your presence in my life. And here's what you find. You spend the rest of your life doing that. Without any extra time to work on somebody else, rebuilding their own temple. That's their relationship with God that they get to work on. Amen? Amen. Let's call ourselves to that. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for this idea of your presence. Forgive us, Lord, for the statements we make like, ah, it's not yet time to do God's work. It's not yet time to build the, it's not, I'll wait till later to do this or that. Pray, Lord, we would see you as a God of present and now. And then, Lord, we ask um, your guidance, your, your proximity. Lord, show us your priority. And then, Lord, for those this morning who need to do that for the first time, they need to ask you in. If you're, if you're that person this morning, how about, how about you say it this way? God, I want, I want your presence and your proximity and your priority right now from this day forward. Be that for me. And may, me, may I always be that to you. Thanks for your son. Thanks for his sacrifice. I accept it. Savior and Lord. If that's you, make an effort to let me know. Make, a, make an effort to let somebody you care about know. Father, thanks for all this. Thanks for this offering that we're about to receive. Thanks for Mexico. Familia de Porras, Malesio and his family as well. Dennis, Debbie, their whole team. Thanks for Jan. Pray, Lord, use your, our offering to continue to do things like that in all our ministries. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
may you petition his presence and proximity. Amen. Go with him.